Okay, so this is Violet Shock, and this is another episode of Just One Episode, and I am reading book four of the Odyssey, The King and Queen of Sparta. At last they gained the ravine of the Lacedaemon ringed, the Lacedaemon ringed by hills, and drove up the halls to Menelaus in his glory. They found the king inside his palace, celebrating it with throngs of kingsmen and a double wedding feast for his son and lovely daughter. The princess he was sending on to the son of great Achilles, breaker of armies. Years ago, Menelaus said, as he nodded assent at Troy and pledged her hand. And now the gods were sailing from the marriage, so he was sending her on her way with a team and chariot, north to the Merm... Myrmidon's famous city governed by her groom. From Sparta he brought Elector's daughter as the bride for his own full-grown son, the, Me- the hardy Meg- Megapenthes, born to him by a slave. To Helen the gods and granted no more offspring once she had borne her first child. The breathtaking Hermione, the beautiful, alumnus beauty, gold as Aphrodite, so now they feasted within the grand high-roofed palace, all the kin and classmen of Menelaus and his glory, reveling warmly here as in their mind, midst an inspired bard sang out and struck his lyre, and brought them a pair of tumblers, dashed in spring, whirling and leaping handsprings, leading on the dance. The travelers, Nestor's shining son and Prince Telemachus, had brought themselves and their horses to a standstill just outside the court where the good and good lord Etionius, passing through the gates now, saw them there, uh, and the ready aid in arms from Menulus took the message through his southern halls, and stepping close to his master broke the news. Strangers have just arrived, your majesty, Men- Menelaus. Two men, but they look like the kin of mighty Zeus himself. Tell me, should we unhitch their team for them, or send them to someone free to host them as well? The red-haired king took great offense at that. Never a fool before, Atonius, son of Boethius. And now I see you're babbling like a child. Just think of all the hospitality we enjoy the hands of other men before we made it home. And God save us from such herd... Such hard treks in years to come. Quick, unhitch their team, and bring them in, strangers, guests, to share our flowing feast. Back through the halls he hurried, calling out how their brisk attendants to follow quickly. They loosed the sweating team from under the yoke, and tethered them fast by reins outside the, inside the horse stalls. Tossing feet in their hoofs, white barley mixed with wheat, encountered the chariot up against the polished walls. Shimmering in the sun, then ushered in their guests. Into that magnificent palace, both struck by the sight, they marveled up and down the house of the warlord dear to Zeus. A rain strong as the moon or rising sun came flooding through the high roof halls of the illustrious Menelaus. Once they feasted their eyes with gazing at it all, into the burnished tubs they climbed and bathed. When Lemona washed them, rubbed them down with oil, and wore, drawn warm fleece and shirts around their shoulders, they took up seats of honor next to a Trinity's Menelaus. A maid brought water spoon in a graceful golden pitcher 
and out over a silver basin tipped it out so they might rinse their hands, then pulled a gleaming table to their side. A staid housekeeper brought on bread to serve them, appetizers aplenty too, lavish with her bounty. As a carver lifted platters of meat toward them, meats of every sort set before them golden cups. The red-haired King Menulus greeted both guests warmly. Help yourselves to food, and welcome. Once you've dined, we'll ask you who you are, but your parents' blood is hardly lost in you. you must be born of kings, bred by the gods to wield the royal scepter. No mean men could hire sons like you. With those words, he passed them a fat, rich loin with his own hands, which was his part that he'd been served himself. Each the good things that lay out spread, and when they put aside their desire for food and drink, Telemachus, leaning his head close to Nestor's son, spoke low so the prince could hear to the prince so no one else could hear look Pisistratus joy of my heart my friend the sheen of bronze the blaze of golden amber silver ivory too through all this echoing mansion surely Zeus's court on Olympus must be just like this the boundless glory of all the wealth inside I dazzle I am struck with wonder but the red-haired warlord overheard his guests and cut in quickly with winged words from both no man could rule alive could rival Zeus, dear boys, with his everlasting palace and possessions, but among men, I must say, few if any could rival me in riches. Believe me, much I suffered, many a mile I rode to haul such treasures home in my ships. Eight years out, wandering off as far as Cyprus, Phoenicia, even Egypt, I reached the Ethiopians, Sidonians, Arambians, Libya, too. Our lambs no sooner spring from the womb than they grow horns. Three times in the circling year, year the eos give birth. So no one, neither king nor shepherd, could want for cheese or mutton or sweet milk either. Udders swell for the sucklings around year, the year. But while I roam those lambs, amassing a fortune, a stranger killed my brother, blind to the danger, duped blind, thanks to the cunning of his cursed, murderous so i rule all this wealth with no great joy you must have heard the story from your fathers whoever they are what hardships i endured i lost this handsome palace built for the ages filled into its depths with hordes of gorgeous things well would to god i'd stayed right here in my own house with a third of all the wealth that and they were still alive all who died on the wide plain of troy all those years ago from the stallion land of argos and still much as i weep for my men grieving sorely Time and again, sitting here in the royal halls, now indulging myself in tears, now brushing the tears away. The grief that numbs the spirit gluts us quickly. For none of all these comrades, pained as I am, do grieve as much. Do I grieve as much for one, the man who makes sleep hateful, even food, as I pour over his memory? No one, no aching heart, labored as hard as Odysseus labored or achieved so much. And how did his struggles end? In suffering for that man. For me, in relentless, heartbreaking grief for him, long and gone, so long now. Dead or alive, who knows? How they must mourn from two, Laertes, the old man, and self-possessed Penelope. Telemachus as well, the boy who left a babe in arms at home. Such memories stirred in the young prince a deep desire to grieve for Odysseus. Tears streamed down his cheeks and wet the ground when he heard his father's name. Both hands clutched his purple rose before his eyes. 
Menelaus recognized him as at once, but pondered whether to let him state his father's name or probe him first and prompt him step by step. While he debated all this now within himself, Helen emerged from her scented lofty chamber, striking his Artemis with her golden shafts. And a train of women followed. Adrestia drew up her carved reclining chair. Alcipe brought a carpet of soft piled fleece. Philo carried her silver basket given by Alcondre, King, King Polybus's wife, who made his home in Egyptian Thebes. We have the houses overflow with the greatest troves of treasure. The king gave Menelaus a pair of bathing tubs in silver, two tripods, ten pars of gold, and apart from these, his wife presented Helen her own precious gifts, a golden spindle, a basket that ran on casters, a solid silver polished off with rims of gold. Now Philo, the servant, her servant, rolled it in beside her, heaped to the brim with yarn, preparing for weaving. The spindle swung in violet wool lay tipped across it. Helen leaned back in her chair, a stool beneath her feet, and pressed her husband at once for each detail. Do we know, my lord Menius, who our visitors claim to be, are welcome new arrivals, right or wrong, what can I say? My heart tells me to come right out and say I've never seen such a likeness. Neither a man nor a woman, I'm amazed at the sight. So the life, he's like the son of great Odysseus. Surely he's Telemachus, the boy that hero left left a babe in his arms when the old Euachians fought at Troy, launching her headlong battles just for my sake, shameless war that I was. My dear, my dear, the red-haired king assured her, now that you mention it, I see the likeness too. Odysseus's feet were like the boys, his hands as well, his glancing eyes, his head, and that fine shock of hair. Yes, and just now, as I was talking about Odysseus, I remember his struggles suffered all for me, a flip. Mud of tears came streaming down his face as he clutched his purple robe before his eyes. Right you are, Pisistaratus stepped in quickly, son of Atreus, king of Menelus, captain of armies. Here is the son of the great hero, as you say, but the man is modest. He would be ashamed to make a show of himself his first time here and interrupt you. We delight in your voice as if some god were speaking. The noble horseman Nestor sent me along to be his escort. Tell him I yearned to see you, so you can give him some advice or urge some action. When a, a, a father's gone, his son takes much abuse in a house where no one comes to his defense. So with Telemachus, in, so with Telemachus now, his father's gone. No one at home will shield him from his, from the worst. Wonderful! The red-haired king cried out, "The son of my dearest friend here in my own house, the man who performed a hundred feats of arms for me, and I swore that when he came, I'd give him a hero's welcome." Him above all my comrades, if only Olympian Zeus, far-seeing Zeus, had granted us both safe passage home across the sea in our swift trim ships. Why, I'd have settled a city in Argos for him. Built him a palace, shipped him over from Ithaca, him and all his wealth, his son, his people too, emptied when the cities nestled round about us, one I rule myself. Both fellow countrymen then, how often we'd have mingled side by side. Nothing could have parted us, bound by a love for each other, mutual delight. Till death's dark cloud came shrouding around us both. The god himself, oh, jealous of all this, no doubt, brought that unlucky man, him and him alone, of the day of his return. <clears throat> so Menelaus mused and stirred in them all a deep desire to grieve. Helen of Argos, daughter of Zeus, dissolved into tears. 
Tell me, it's been wept too, and so did Atreus's son Men Menelaus. Nor could Nestor's son Pisistratus stay dry-eyed, remembering now his gallant brother Antilochus, cut down by Memnon, splendid son of the morning. Thinking of him, the young prince broke out. Old Nestor always spoke of you, son of Atreus, as the wisest man of all the men he knew. Whenever he talked about you, all of these you'd hear at home, questioning back and forth. So now, please, if it isn't in the place, indulge me, won't you? Myself, I take no joy in weeping over supper. The morning will soon bring time enough for that. Not that I'd grudge a tear for any man gone down to meet his fate. What other tribute can we pay to the wretched and then to cut a walk, let tears roll down our cheeks? And I have a brother of my own among the ranks. And I have a brother of my own among the dead, and hardly the poorest soldier in our ranks. You probably know him. I never met him, never saw him myself, but they said they say he did, he outdid our best. Antilochus. Antilochus. Yeah. Antilochus, lightning on his feet and every inch fighter. Very well. Well said, my friend, the red-haired king replied. Not even older man could speak and do as well. Your father's son you are. Your words have all his wisdom. He sees his father, the breed of a man whom Zeus has marked for joy and birth and marriage both. Take great, take great King Nestor now. Zeus has blessed him all his lifelong days. Growing rich and sleek in his old age at home. His son's expert with spears and full of sense. Well, so much for the tears that have caught us, caught us just now. Let's think again of supper. Come, rinse our hands. Tomorrow at dawn, we'll offer me and Telemachus time to talk and trade our thoughts in full. Esphalion quickly rinsed their hands with water. Another of King Menelaus's ready aids in arms. Again, they reach for the good things set before them. Then, then Zeus's daughter Helen thought of something else. Into the mixing bowl from which they drank their wine, she slipped a drug, heart's ease, dissolving anger, magic to forget. Make us forget all our pains. No one who drank it deeply, molded wine, could let a tear roll down his cheek that day. Not even if his mother should die, his father die. Not even if right before his eyes so many men brought down a brother or darling son with a sharp bronze blade. So cunning the drugs and Zeus's daughter lied. Potent gifts from Palidomna, the wife of Thon, a woman of Egypt, a land where the teeming soil bears the richest yield of herbs in all the world. Many health itself when mixed its wine and many a deadly poison. Every man is a healer there, more skilled than any other man on earth. Egyptians born of the healing god himself. So now Helen, once she had drugged the wine and ordered the wine cups filled, resuming the conversation, entertained the group. My royal king Menelaus, welcome guests here, sons of the great as well. Zeus can present us times of joy and times of grief in turn. All lies within his power. So come, let's sit back in the palace now. Dine and warm our hearts with the old stories. I will tell something perfect for the occasion. Surely I can't describe or even list them all, the exploits crowding fearless Odysseus's record. But what a feat that hero dared and carried off in the land of Troy where Euachian suffered. 
scarring his own body with mortifying strokes, throwing filthy rags on his back like any slave. He slipped into the enemy's city, roamed its streets, all disguised, a totally different man, a beggar, hardly the figure he cut it on Aegeus' ships. That's how Odysseus infiltrated Troy, and no one knew him at all. I alone spotted him for the man he was, kept questioning him. The crafty one kept dodging, but after I made him, rubbed him down with oil, given him clothes to wear, and sworn a binding oath not to reveal him as Odysseus to the Trojans, not till he's back at his swift ships and shelters. Then at last he revealed to me, step by step, the whole aching strategy. And once he cut a troop of Trojans down with his long bronze horns, sword, he went back, he went to his comrades, filled with information. The rest of the Trojan women shrilled their grief. Not I, my heart left up. My heart had changed by now. I yearned to sail back home again. I grieved too late for the madness Aphrodite sent me, luring me there, far from my dear land, forsaking my own child, my bridal bed, my husband, too. A man who lacked neither brains nor beauty. And the red-haired Menelaus answered Helen, There is a tale, my lady, so well told. Now then, I have studied it in my time. The plans and minds of great ones by the score, and I have traveled over a good part of the world, but never once have I laid eyes on a man like him. What a heart that fearless Odysseus had inside him. What a piece of work that hero dared and carried off in the wooden horse where all our best encamped. Our champions armed with bloody death for Troy. When you came, when along you came, Helen, roused no doubt by a dark power bent on giving Troy some glory. And, da and dashing Prince Diphobus squired your every step. Three times you sauntered around our hollow ambush, feeling, stroking its links, challenging our fighters, calling each by name. Yours was the voice of all our long-lost wives. And Diomedes and I crouched tight in the midst with great Odysseus. Hearing you singing out, we're both keen to spring up and sally forth, or give you a sudden answer from inside. But Odysseus dampened our ardor, ringed us back. Then all the rest of the troops kept stock still, all but Anticulus. He was a hot to salute you now, but Odysseus clamped his great hands on the man's mouth and shut it brutally. Yes, he saved us all, holding on grim set till Pallas Athena lured you off at last. But clear slanted Telemachus ventured, son of Arius, king of Manulus, captain of armies, so much the worse. For not one bit of that saved him from a grisly death. Not even a heart of iron could have helped. But come, send us off to bed. It's time to rest, to enjoy the sweet relief of sleep. And Helen briskly told her servant woman to make beds in the porch's shelter, lay down some heavily purple throws for the beds themselves, and spread a, and over them spread some blankets, thick woolly robes. A warm covering laid on top. Torches in hand, they left the hall and made up beds at once. The herald led the two guests on, and so they slept outside the palace under the forecourt's colonnade. Young Prince Telemachus and Nestor's shining sun. Menelaus retired to the chambers deep within the lofty house, with Helen beside him. When young dawn with the rose-red fingers shone once more, the lord of the war cry climbed from his bed and dressed. Over his shoulder he slung his well-honed sword, fastened rawhide sandals from under his smooth feet, stepped from his bedroom, handsome as a god, and sat beside Telemachus, asking kindly, Now, my young prince, tell me what brings you 
here to sunny Lacedaemon, sailing over the sea's broad back, a public matter or private? Tell me the truth now. And with all the poise he had, Telemachus replied, Son of Ardeus, King of Menus, Captain of Armies, I came in the hope that you can tell me now some news about my father. My house is being devoured, my rich farms destroyed, my palace crammed with enemies, slaughtering on and on, my droves of sheep shambling longhorn cattle. Suitors plague my mother, the insolent overweening. That's why I've come to plead before you now, if you can tell me about his cruel death. Perhaps you saw him die with your own eyes, or heard the wanderer's end from someone else. More than all other men, that man was born for pain. Don't soften a thing from pity, respect for me. Tell me clearly, all your eyes have witnessed. I beg you, if ever my father, Lord Odysseus, pledged you his word and made it good in action once, on the fields of Troy where you ached and suffered, remember his story now. Tell me the truth. How shameful, the red-haired king burst out in anger. That's the bed of a brave man of war they'd like to crawl inside, those spineless, craven cowards. Weak as the doe that beds down her fawns in the mighty lion's den, her newborn sucklings, and the trails off to the mountain spurs and grassy bends to graze her full. But back of the lion comes to his own lair, and the master deals both the fawns a ghastly, bloody death. Just what Odysseus will deal that mob, a ghastly death. Ah, if only, Father Zeus, Athena, and Lord Apollo, that man whose years ago in the game of Lesbos rode to Philomelides' challenge, wrestled him, pinned him down with one tremendous throw, and the the Argives roared with joy. If only that, Odysseus, sported with these suitors, a blood wedding, a quick death would take the lot. But about the things you have asked me so intently, I'll skew and sidestep nothing, not deceive you, ever. Of all he told me, the old man of the sea who never lies, I'll never hold back nothing, not a single word. I was in Egypt, where the gods still marooned me, eager as I was to voyage home. I'd failed, you see, to render them full, flawless victims. The gods are always keen to see their rules obeyed. Now there's an island out in the ocean's heavy surge, well off the Egyptian coast. They call it Pharos, far as a deep-sea ship can go in one day's sail with a whistling wind astern to drive her on. There's a snug harbor there, good landing beach, where crews pull in, draw water from the dark wells, and then push their vessels off for passage and out. But here the gods become me twenty days, not a breath of the breezes ruffling out to sea, and a speed a ship back across the ocean's broad back. Now our rations would have all been consumed, rations would have all been con- now our rations would have all been consumed, our crews stamined too, if one of the gods had not felt sorry for me, shown me mercy. Edothea, the daughter of Proteus, the great power, the old man of the sea. My troubles must have moved her to the heart when she met me trudging by myself without my men. They kept roaming around the beach day in, day out, fishing with twisted hooks, their bellies racked by hunger. When she came right with me, filled me with questions. Are you a fool, stranger, soft in the head and lazy too? Or do you let things slide because you like your pain? Here you are, cooped up on an island far too long, with no way out of it, none that you can find while your shipmate's spirits at the way. So she brought it and I replied at once. Let me tell you, goddess, whoever you are, I'm hardly landlocked here of my own free will, so I must have angered one of the deathless gods who rule the skies up there. But you tell me, you immortals know it all. Which one of you blocks my way here? 
keeps me from my voyage. How can I cross the swarming sea and reach home at last? And the glistening goddess reassured me warmly. Of course, my friend. I'll answer all your questions. Who haunts these parts? Proteus of Egypt does, the immortal old man in the sea who never lies, who sounds in the deep in all its depths beside the servant. He's my father, they say. He gave me life. And he, if only you ambush him somehow and pin him down, will tell you the way to go, the stages of your voyage. How can you cross the swarming sea and reach home at last? And he can tell you, too, if you want to press him. You are king. You are a king, it seems. All that's occurred within your palace, good and bad, while you've been gone your long and painful way. Then you are the one, I quickly took her up. Show me a the trick to trap this ancient power. Or he'll sense me first and slip away. It's hard for a mortal man to force a god. True, my friend, the glistening one agreed. And again, I'll tell you all you need to know. When the sun stands straying at high noon, then up from the waves he comes, the old man in the sea who never lies, under a west wind's gust that shrouds him around, in shuddering dark swells, and once he's out on land, he heads for his bed of rest in deep hollow caves, and around him droves of seals, sleek black pups, bred by his lovely ocean lady, bed down to in a huddle, flopping up from the gray surf, giving off the sour reek of the salty ocean depth. I'll lead you there myself at the break of day and crouch you all for attack side by side. Choose three men from your crew. Choose well. The best you've got aboard the good deck holes. And I'll tell you all the old wizard's tricks. First, he'll make his rounds and count the seals. Once he's checked their number, reviewed them all, down in their midst he'll lie like a shepherd with his flock. That's your moment. Soon as you see him bedded down, muster your heart and strength and hold him fast. Wildly as he writhes and fights you to escape, he'll try all kinds of escape, twist and turn into every beast that moves across the earth, transforming himself into water, superhuman fire. But you would, you hold on for dear life, hug him all the harder. And when at last he begins to ask you questions back in the shape you saw him sleep at first, relax your grip and set the old god free and ask him outright, hero, which of the gods is up in arms against you? How can you cross the swarming sea and reach home at last? So she urged, and under the breaking surf, she dove. As I went back to our squadron, beached in sand, my heart a heaving storm at every step. Once I, my ship hauled up on shore, we made our meal, and the godsent night came down. And then we slept at the sea's smooth, shelving edge, and that when young dawn with a rose-red finger shone once more, I set down the coast of the wide-ranging sea. Praying hard to the gods for all their help, taking with me the three men I trusted most on every kind of mission. Edothea now had slipped beneath the seas engulfing folds, but back from the waves she came with four sealskins all freshly stacked. Did I see her father blind? She scooped out lurking places deep in the sand and sat there waiting as we approached her post and crouched us side by side. She flung a sealskin over each man's back. Now there is an ambush that would have overpowered us all. The overpowering, true, the awful reek of all those sea-fed brutes. Who would dream of bending down with a monster of the deep? But the goddess sped to our rescue, found the curse, first with an ambrosia, dabbing it under each man's nose. With that lovely scent, it drowned the creature's stench. So all morning we lay there, waiting, spirits steeled. All the seals came crowding, jostling out of the sea, and flopped down in rows, basking along the surf. 
At high noon, the old man emerged from the lays and found his fat fed sails and made his rounds, counting off, counting us the first four, but he had no inkling of all the fraud afoot. Then down he lay and slept, but we with a battle cry, we rushed him, flung our arms around. He lost nothing, that old rascal, none of his cunning quick techniques. First he shifted, shifted into a great bearded lion, then a serpent, a panther, a rampaging wild boar, a turrent of water, a tree with soaring branch tops. But he held on for dear life, braving it out until, at last, that quick change artist. The old one soon began to weary of this and burst down into rapid fire questions. Which god, Menelaus, conspired with you to trap me in ambush? Seize me against my will? What on earth do you want? You know, old man, I counter now. Why put me off with questions? Here I am, cooped up on an island far too long, with no way out of it, none that I can find while my spirit ebbs away. But you tell me, you immortals know it all. Which one of you blocks my way here, keeps me from my voyage? How can I cross the swarming sea and reach home at last? How wrong you were, the seer shot back at once. You should have offered Zeus and the other gods a handsome sacrifice, then embarked. If you ever hoped for a rapid journey home across the lion dark sea, it's not your destiny yet to see your loved ones reach your own grand house, your native land at last. Not till you sail back through Egyptian waters that the great Nile swelled by the rains of Zeus, and make a splendid right to the deathless gods who rule the vaulting skies. Then, only then, will the gods grant you the voyage you desire. So he urged and broke the heart inside me, having to double back on the misbound seas, back to Egypt that long and painful way nevertheless i caught my breath and answered that will do old that i will do old man as you command tell me this as well and leave out nothing did all the achaeans reach home and ships and and all we left behind nestor and i and root from troy or did any die some cruel death by shipwreck or die in the arms of loved ones once they ran down the long coil of war he lost no time in saying Son of Ardeus, why do you ask me that? Why do you need to know? Why problem my mind? You won't stay dry at long. I warn you, once you've heard the whole story, many of them were killed, many survived as well, but only two, the captain of your bronze army and units, died on the way home. You know who died in the fighting. You were there yourself. And, and one is still alive, one captive somewhere, off in the endless seas. Ajax, now, went down with his long-oared fleet, first designed and drove him off the cliffs of Gyre, looming cliffs that then saved him from the breakers. He'd escaped his doom, too, despite his famous hate, if he hadn't flung that brazen boast, that mad blind fool. In the teeth of go- the gods, he bragged, I have escaped the ocean's sheer abyss. Poseidon heard that frantic vaunt and go- grasped his train in both his massive hands and struck the Gyrian G- headland, hacked the rock in two, and the giant stump stood fast with the jagged spur where it perched at first. The raving madman toppled into the sea, plunging him down, down into the deep seething depths. And so he died, having drunk his fill of brine. Your brother? Some, he somehow escaped that fate. Agamemnon got away in his bright ships. Queen Hera pulled him through. But just as he came abreast of Malia's beetling cape, the hurricane snatched him up and swept him way off course, groaning, desperate, driving him off the fish-infested sea to the wild borderland where this... Uh, Thyestus made his home in all in the days of old where his son Agustus lived now. But even from there a safe return seemed likely. 
Yes, the immortals swung the wind around to fair, and the victors sailed home. How he rejoiced, I tried setting foot in his fatherland once more. He took that native earth from his hands and kissed it, hot tears flooding his eyes, so thrilled he was to see his land. But a watchman saw him too from a couch high above. A spy, that coming intending Agus the station there, lured the two men gold, two gold bars in payment. One whole year he'd watch, so the great king could not get, would not get past unseen. His fighting power intact for self-defense. The spy ran news to his master's halls, and Agus was quickly set to stealthy tricks. Picking the, picking the twenty best recruits from town, he packed them in an ambush at one end of the house. At the other, he ordered a banquet and dressed spread out to welcome the conquering hero. Agamemnon went to, with team and chariot, his mind a swarm with evil. Up the shore, he led the king, ushered him in, suspecting nothing of his doom, but feasted him well, then cut him down as a man cuts down some ox at the trough. Not one of your brothers and men at arms was left alive, none of Agastus either, all killed in the palace. So, Proteus said, and his story crushed my heart. I knelt down in the sand and wept. I had no desire to go on living and see the rising light of day, but once I'd had my fill of tears and writhing there, the old man the sea continued. See who never lies continued. No more, Menelaus. How long must you weep, withering tears? What good can come of tears? None that I know. Strive instead to return to your native country. Hurry home at once. Either you'll find the murderer still alive, or Orestes will have beaten you to the kill. You'll be in time to share the funeral feast. So I pressed, and I felt my heart, the old pride, for all my grieving, the glow once more in my chest, and I asked the seer in a rush of winged words. And those two I know now. Tell me the third man's name. Who is still alive, hung captive off in the endless seas? Unless he's dead by now. I want to know the truth, though it grieves me all the more. Odysseus, the third prophet, named the third at once. Laretta's son, who makes his home in Ithaca. I saw him once on an island, weeping live-warm tears, and the nymphs coincides him. She holds him there by force. He has no way to voyage home to his own native land. No trim ships in reach, no crew to ply the oars, or send him scudding over the sea's broad back. But about your own destiny, Menelaus, dear to Zeus, it's not for you to die, and meet your father in the stallion land of Argos. No, deathless ones will sweep you off to the world's end, the Alessian's fields where the where the gold hair, where the gold haired Ron, Rodamanda, Rod, Amanthus, Rodamanthus, where the golden haired Rodamanthus waits, where life glides on in mortal ease from mortal man. No snow, no winter onslaught, never a downpour there, but. But night and day the ocean reverse suns up breezes, singings of the west refreshing all mankind. All this because you are Helen's husband now. The gods count you the son-in-law of Zeus. So I divined, and down the breaking surf he dove, as I went back to my ships with my brave men. My heart a rising tide at every step. Once I reached my craft, hauled up on shore, we made our meal, and the gods sent night came down, and we slept on the sea's smooth, sheltering edge. When young dawn with a rose-red finger shone once more, we hauled the vessels down to the sunlit breakers first, then stepped the masts amidship, canvas brailed. The crew swung aboard, they sat the oars in ranks, and 
and rhythm turned the water white with stroke on stroke. Back we went to the Nile, swelled by the rains of Zeus, and moored the ships and sacrificed in splendid rite. Once I'd slaked the wrath of everlasting gods, I'd raised a man for Agamemnon in his undying glory. All of a sudden I set sail, and God sent me a stiff, bellowing wind that sped me home, home to the native land I loved. Okay, so I've read for like 30 minutes, but this chapter is really long. Like, I've got like at least 20 more minutes left. So I think I'll leave this episode at that. And I'll start there tomorrow. Or whenever you listen to the next episode. But so concludes part one of book four, The King and Queen of Sparta. See ya!